Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellum podcast, exploring the sacred in art, music, faith, and community. This week, we had the pleasure of welcoming grad students from SMU to our, uh, to our building. These graduate students were under the supervision of Marcel Stornagel, one of our covenant partners, who is the professor and director of the pastoral music program at SMU. He's a very fancy professor that we're, we're blessed uh, to know. But he brought all these students from all over the world to Lide. And these students came with so many different perspectives. Some were serving as music ministers or liturgical musicians in various Christian settings globally. And they came to life in Deep Ellum to learn about this ministry as an example of contextual church in a specific neighborhood and how uh, the worship arts is related to a specific context. And of course, Marcel really just wanted to show off his church. (laughs) But we ended up having this really dynamic conversation. We talked about the history of Deep Ellum and the music history in particular. And these students asked great questions. They asked, how does this music history affect the music in the gathering? Great question. How do you go out of the walls of this building and connect to the neighborhood? Hard questions, good questions. And we talked about how life in Deep Ellum is by no means a perfect example of contextual ministry, but how we are trying and we're willing to go where God leads and be on a journey together. Marcel noted that maybe perfection isn't the goal, but the goal is to ask these hard questions and wrestle thoughtfully together. And one student said, you know, I love how open and diverse theologically your community is. She typed on her phone, her notes, but what is it that really holds y'all together? What are your core values, she asked. I really need to have a notebook that just has all the answers at all times to be able to to pull it out. But I described our community and our process of becoming a creedal community uh, bound together by the Apostles' Creed. But I said, you know what, we really are held together by the spirit of Jesus who lived, died, and was resurrected, and leads us to love God and love our neighbor. And I I told her how surprised I was that most of the time that really worked. (laughs) We laughed that usually the spirit of Jesus can hold us together. I'm kidding. It always can hold us together. 
But it is really amazing that as a non-denominational faith community, we are bound together by the spirit of Christ alone. And while that does leave us a bit more vulnerable at times, we don't really have those large funding sources that other denominations have, we have a lot of freedom to be creative. Many in the group said, wow, you could try so many creative things here and your members probably wouldn't stop you. (laughs) It's a good new motto for ministry, I feel like. (laughs) You won't stop me. (laughs) But one student asked a question that stuck out to me. He said, you know, I get that you're held together by the Apostles' Creed, but even that can be so broad And you say that Jesus holds you together, but which Jesus? Which Jesus? Such a great question. And that is what I hope that we can answer together in this new series. I hope that we can come to rediscover which Jesus came to be born and save us. Which Jesus loves us and leads us? And I hope that this new series, Good News, renews our understanding of God's vision of the world through Jesus. One could also ask, which gospel? Maybe in this series we will come to rediscover the gospel that calls us and claims us and also changes us. What exactly is this good news? Today we, we sang, if it's not good news for all, it's not good. So who is benefited by the good news? And how are they benefited? What systems are changed? What sins are forgiven? What hearts are expanded? Which Jesus holds us together? And what does this Jesus want us to do? Who does this Jesus want us to see? To be a believer of Jesus in 2024 is to wrestle with all these questions. And to be a follower of Jesus is to really wrestle with these questions because you can't really follow someone without knowing whose steps ahead of you you should look for. Now, let's talk about the many different Jesuses, plural, Uh, there are out there that are portrayed in our culture. There are a lot of choices. Choose your fighter. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, Here are a few options that our dominant culture provides us with when we think about finding who Jesus is and the Jesus that we follow. Here are a few that came to mind for me. We have Jesus, the strong American hero. Now this is a Jesus that's been closely tied to military strength and Christian nationalism. This Jesus is tough and masculine. This Jesus is tough on crime and is probably the Jesus you would see on trucker hats at gas stations here in Texas. But seriously, there is a strong movement in this nation that defines Jesus that way. And they say that this masculine Jesus is 
helping God, helping America become God's chosen nation and must be defended as God's chosen nation. But you know what this Jesus tends to lead to? It's a powerful predictor of intolerance towards immigrants, racial minorities, and non-Christians. This Jesus kind of excludes other people. Kristen Dumay wrote a book called Jesus and John Wayne, and it is a great book, and it talks about how a lot of the Christianity in our culture has defined Jesus in this John Wayne way, this, this masculine savior um, that defends a patriarchal system. So that's, that's option number one. I don't see anyone in here really just running to, to that Jesus. We also have Jesus... The sacrifice. Now, this Jesus is often disconnected from his earthly historical life, and the focus of this Jesus is on the atoning sacrifice of sin on the cross. Now, let me say this. That is an important part of the gospel. The death of Jesus is a key part in our redemption. However, this Jesus sometimes gets disconnected from his earthly historical life from his birth, his life, his teachings, and especially his resurrection. The emphasis of this Jesus is solely on the cross and the cross alone. And we kind of lose touch with the Jesus who breathed and cried and nursed with his mother and felt compassion for the stranger and healed the sick, all those really important things that happen in his earthly life, we can kind of get disconnected from. Now, the third option that I see in our culture is just the very good guy. <laughs> Trademark, just Jesus, the very good guy. <laughs> this Jesus is just a really nice guy. He's a moral teacher that lived a long time ago and said some great things. He was treated badly, but he's not that much different from other good guys. This Jesus doesn't really change you. This Jesus doesn't save the world or bring life-changing good news. This Jesus just had some good teachings that we should learn from, kind of like inspirational quotes on a coffee table book that you might just pass through and maybe reflect back on every now and then, but not really spend much time with. This Jesus, unlike the others, is disconnected from his eternal significance. So these are some dominant Jesus figures that you hear about. Which Jesus are we following? Let's hear a story from Luke, and maybe we will find him. I'm going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he's really starting to tell people who he is, okay? He's starting to spread the word and be a little less shy about his, his power and his authority. 
Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread throughout all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say, today the scripture is, has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. Now later they kick him out of the synagogue, but we won't, we won't get into that part. He's obviously drawing attention from this local synagogue. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. These few verses in scripture, where do they come from? These aren't the first times that these words have ever been uttered. They actually come from the book of Isaiah. They come from the prophets who long before had longed for and hoped for a Messiah who would change things. Isaiah 61 is what these words come from. So in this moment, Jesus is both part of the past, part of the present, and part of the future. Jesus transcends time in this moment as the fulfillment of this amazing prophecy. And he says, yeah, you know this prophecy that you've been waiting on and hearing about in the synagogue? Yeah, it's, it's me. <laughs> Here I am. He comes to announce this good news. Now, what is this good news about? Contrary to what we might think, this good news has big implications for society. Jesus doesn't just say, I come to build relationships with y'all and be a really nice guy. Or I come just to forgive your sins and make sure you can get into heaven. Jesus doesn't just say one thing. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This means that the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was anointed with this good news. And what does he say to bring good news to the poor? Hold on. What? Good news to the poor. Isaiah actually translates that as good news to the oppressed. But aren't the poor part of 
those who are oppressed. Each week in this next series, we're going to be going line by line through Isaiah 61, this prophetic vision that Jesus makes a reality. And Jesus continues to make a reality in all of us. Today, we're focusing on this first line of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Now, you might say that Christianity has not always done the best job of connecting faith to economic justice, right? Oftentimes, this verse has been translated to say, well, it's probably the poor in spirit that Jesus was coming to, to heal. But he, he, doesn't, he doesn't say that. <laughs> he doesn't say the poor in spirit. He says the poor. And this shows us that a big part of God's vision is that God cares about those who are in poverty. God cares about those who are facing oppression. The gospel, it can't just be reduced to a, only a spiritual message of good news. And it also can't just be reduced to only acts of economic change and service. Friends, it's both. It's this beautiful, holistic gospel that Jesus lives out and embodies So often we think that, uh, we see that these, these things get separated. We see churches just focus on the spiritual needs of people. We see it's all about just prayer and worship, right? Or like we talked about Jesus, very, very nice guy. It's really just about being good to your neighbor advocating for new and more just systems, and the spiritual stuff is not really as important. What would it be like to really discover how integrated these two parts of the gospel are? God can speak to us through prayer. God can live in us through the Spirit, and also that means that we can care about others in tangible ways. We can advocate for the oppressed. So how, how does this work? Who is this Jesus? You see, this Jesus cares about your soul, and your body. This Jesus wants you to have abundant life. This Jesus cares about you having your daily bread. This Jesus is tough yet tender, human and divine, earthly and eternal, historical and heavenly. This Jesus is drawn to those who need him with compassion, those who have been cast out because of leprosy, 
those who are deemed not enough, this Jesus moves toward the marginalized in our society. And his good news is just as multidimensional as he is. His good news is not just inspirational coffee book quotes. And his good news is not just a lucky golden ticket to the gates of heaven. When we come to know Jesus, we come to understand and have a deep connection to him. And we come to understand that he changes the world in so many ways. He is grace. He is mercy. He is compassion. His gospel is holistic and healing. His good news is a balm for a weary soul, and it's also salvation for a weary world. It's blankets for inclement weather and prayers for those who are facing oppression. It's hands-on and it transcends the physical. I know, it's kind of mysterious how all these things work together. Some examples come to mind. As we honor Dr. Martin Luther King tomorrow, I've, I've been thinking about one of the lesser known parts of his advocacy and ministry, which was the Poor People's Campaign. Dr. King really understood this deep connection between faith and justice. And he was deeply concerned about the millions of Americans that were living in death-filled poverty. It was his faith that led him to advocate for those who were poor. And he was assassinated before he really got the chance to lead this full campaign. But Ralph Abernathy, one of his colleagues and, and fellow ministers, led the campaign for him. And nearly 40,000 people protested in Washington, camping out in a camp that they called Resurrection Camp. They wanted to bring attention to the nation's crisis of poverty. And in doing so, they showed that faith means advocacy for those who are oppressed. Now, you might think, did the Poor People's Campaign end after years? Well, no, actually. William Barber II is a reverend uh, who is leading that campaign still. And just in 2023, they gathered together in Washington and talked about the statistics of those who were facing poverty in COVID and how poverty impacted them differently. Apparently, and I didn't even realize this, up to 40% of our nation lives below the poverty line. And this has consequences for health, for well-being, there's a lot of factors that contribute to this, like affordable housing and health care and accessibility to food. And we might get caught up and just think, oh, it's too much. It's too big of a problem. Let's just stick to the spiritual stuff. 
But friends, then we would be mistaking the wholeness of the gospel. In Chicago right now, there are ministries to welcome the migrants. Because as you might know, uh, people are crossing the border from Mexico and they're being bused by our, our state government to other cities. Um, one of those being Chicago. And a local minister there named John Zayas, who is pastor of Grace and Peace Church in Chicago, wasn't planning on being an expert in caring for migrants, but his ministry led him there because of the 30,000 people that were seeking housing and refuge. And so he ended up doing something about it. He started a ministry, and they have helped 400 migrants find homes and work in this new um, ministry. You see, this pastor didn't just say, well, my city's got a problem with, with migrants, and there's nothing I can do about it. Jesus will take care of that in the afterlife. <laughs> he knew that resurrection meant that he was called to embody good news and connect those in his community who were vulnerable to resources that they needed. This, to me, is an example of resurrection, of good news. In building relationships with those migrants, this pastor has said that there are, are many Many times that they have spiritual conversations, they talk about Jesus, they have shirts that say running on coffee and Jesus. And many churches have come together and said that there are not enough state resources to care for this issue. They've wanted to call on the federal government for more assistance. But you know who's filling the gap in the meantime? It's not the government, it's not the local state government. These churches are filling the gap for the migrant crisis in Chicago because they know that the good news is shared with those who are vulnerable and struggling. So I give you this as an example, but I wonder what, where Jesus will lead us as a community. We have a lot of amazing community partners, and I long for us to be even more connected to those partners, to know about the ministries that they do, to get to know the people in our neighborhood who are suffering, who are struggling from the hand of oppression and poverty. What if Jesus is calling us to know them, to serve them, to reach out the umbrella, if you will, to share the good news in tangible ways. I have a cousin uh, in Arkansas, and when I was telling him about my church, I told him, you know, I said, we have this coffee shop, and we have an art gallery, and we have all these different things, and I said, sometimes I'm a little overwhelmed, but most of the time it's okay. And he said, you know what? You didn't really describe any, like, ministry in that. And I just, I held my food. I didn't, I didn't make a scene. 
because I wanted to tell him, of course, it's all ministry. Of course, these, these are ministry. But I wonder where Jesus is leading us to integrate these things even more, to be the hands and feet of Christ in ways that change statistics. Statistics change because we change them with the power and love and compassion of God. As we uh, sing our final song, I invite you to think about the Jesus that maybe you were raised with. Think about him. What do you want to hang on to and what is it time to let go of? And then who is the Jesus that you're learning to discover? And what are some of his characteristics? What does Jesus bring to your life? What does it feel like to know that you're never alone, that there's a grace and peace that passes understanding? And then what would it be like to share this good news? Not to save your friend or to make sure that they go to heaven or make sure they have some type of eternity, but because you know what the eternal significance of Christ is, and it's from that eternity that you act differently now in the present. Our world needs us to fill some gaps, y'all. It may not be the migrant crisis here in Deep Ellum, but we will continue to see where our society has marginalized others. And if we're brave enough, we'll follow a Jesus who cares a lot about that, like a lot. This Jesus that we follow, he is good. He is compassionate. He is spirit and flesh. He is words and song. He is action and contemplation. He's prayer and participation. He is all of these things our great liberator, our great savior. He is good enough. And his gospel compels us to see the world differently, to see it through the loving eyes of God where no one is left out. No one is cast aside. No one is dismissed. starting to find that Jesus, the only Jesus, the Jesus who loves us and leads us forward. May we follow him and rediscover this very, very good news.